The children are dismissed to Children's Church this morning. Uh, Take your copy of the Word of God and open up to uh, Romans chapter 11. This morning we're going to be in Romans chapter 11, uh, and we're going to do verses 11 through uh, 24. So if you'll follow along uh, with me with this section of Scripture. The Word of God says, So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation came to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will will their full inclusion mean? Now, I'm speaking to you, Gentiles, inasmuch then that I, as I am the apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order uh, somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, uh, now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant towards the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in this kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. But if you were cut off uh, from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into the cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own Olive tree. Let's pray this morning. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you and we ask that you would speak to us from your word. We ask that you would have something here for each one of us that we would listen not only with attentive ears, but that the spirit would be at work in our heart and that we would hear your spirit directing us and guiding us through these these very words that are in your scriptures. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give me the words to say, pray that it would be clear and that your word would come Uh, Not with my words, but with spiritual power from the Holy Spirit. Uh, In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. This is one of those passages of Scripture that that can be difficult to understand. But I want you to think in terms of this passage helps us recognize how we put our Bibles together. How we connect the Old Testament and the New Testament. How we think of ourselves even as the people of God. And what is our relationship to Israel in the Old Testament? 
And one of the beautiful things about this section of Romans, and and not just these verses, but Romans chapter 11, is it gives us the scope of God's plan. It helps us see where and how God is working and how even the New Testament is connected to the Old Testament. And it is the one God who continues to work. And if anything, again, I'll put my plug in to say, read your Old Testaments, because it's all connected. But as you think about your own life in faith, it helps you sometimes to take a step back and see the scope of God's plan so that you stand in all of God, so that you marvel at what God is doing. God is not just your God right here now in the moment. He has been the God of peoples down through the ages. There have been many Christians before you. There have been many saints in the Old Testament before you that are saved the same way that we're saved, by trusting in the Messiah, by trusting in Jesus, salvation by faith. So this morning, when I understand the scope of God's plan, I am challenged to stand strong in the faith. And some of the main exhortations that we want to get to as we walk through this and at the end of the passage is do not neglect your faith. Do not turn away from God. And seeing the consistency of God's plan, seeing the outworking of God's plan laid out, not just in the moment for you, but over history, which you are now a part of, can encourage you. Last week we mentioned Elijah and we said sometimes we feel like Elijah in the faith and we feel like we're the only ones left. And we forget the plan and the purpose of God. And this passage, I think, will help us understand that. Understanding the sovereignty of God over human history helps you in your Christian walk. It's a motivation for deeper faith. Recognizing the scope of God's purposes For the world, both Jew and Gentile, strengthens us in the faith. Not only that, it it, it keeps us humble. Just as much as God is working in you, God is working in other people. And you're not better than other people just because you can tell where God is working in you. For God has a plan for the whole world. And so we see that and we challenge you today. Do not neglect the faith. Do not turn away from God. First thing we want to see this morning is that Israel is not totally cut away from the plan of God. And so we've been walking through 9, 10 and now chapter 11. And part of the issue is, has the word of God failed? All of these promises were made to Israel. And now Paul is saying many Israelites, many Jewish people are not believing And so this raises the natural question, has God's word failed? And of course, the answer is no. And Paul has been telling us that God is preserving a remnant, that God is still working in his plans in election. But Israel has not totally has not been totally cut off from the plan of God. She has not totally fallen away. So look at verse 11. So I ask you, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means, rather, through their salvation has come to the Gentiles. Uh, Salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. What Paul is saying is 
Is God totally and completely done with Israel? There, will there be no more Jewish believers ever? And Paul says no. They've stumbled. There's a large group and there even is a large number to this day that are rejecting that Jesus is their Messiah. And yet, as he's told us, and we looked at last week, there still is a remnant. There are still people from a Jewish heritage that are believing that Jesus is the Christ, the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And so he's saying, no, they haven't totally fallen away. It's not that God says, well, that's it. I'm done. No more. Never again. By no means. Rather, their trespass, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. This goes back to Romans chapter 10, verse 19, where Paul has quoted Deuteronomy 32, Romans 10, 19. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous uh, of those who are not a nation with a foolish nation. I will make you angry. And so what is happening? Remember, Romans 1, 16 and 17, that the gospel is the power of God to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And what is God doing? Yes, there are a large number of Jews in Paul's days who should have understood the word of God. They should have seen that God has fulfilled it. And yet they were rejecting. And Paul's saying, yeah, this salvation now has gone to the Gentiles because they're rejecting But God is going to use that to make certain Jews, some Israelites, jealous. I think we should point out here that not every instance of jealousy is a sin. In the Old Testament, God gets jealous. And it's a good thing. His nation, Israel, is going after foreign gods and he gets jealous and he sends a prophet and he brings them back. A husband's. If, if someone is flirting with your wife and your wife is no not culpable at all in this, but some man is flirting with your wife, it's good that you get jealous. That, that is your wife that you're married to. You are the one that has a covenant relationship with her. And so not all jealousy is sin. And here the idea is the jealousy will stir people to respond to the gospel. Well, what do you mean Jesus is your Messiah? What do you mean that you understand and read the Old Testament? What do you mean that the Old Testament has been fulfilled? How how dare you claim these covenant promises of Abraham upon yourself? You're a Gentile. Well, maybe I should look into what you're saying. Through that, someone may hear the gospel. And through that, uh, someone may get saved. How great would it be then, Paul brings up, if Israel turned back to God. And this is true even in our day. But look at verse 12. Now, if their trespass means the riches for the world, and if their failure means the riches for the Gentile, how much more will their inclusion mean? So in Israel's rejecting of the gospel, God is sending the gospel to Gentiles Uh, As Jews are rejecting it, you know how Paul goes out and he goes into the synagogue and he preaches and some will get saved, but a large number reject. And then he goes into the city and more Gentiles get saved. And this is just the habit and pattern of Paul throughout Acts. And so we have this. They're trespassing. They're sinning. They're not believing the gospel. 
and Paul brings the gospel. But then when they reject, he goes to the Gentiles and more Gentiles get saved. He says, if that is great, because more people are getting saved, how much greater, how much more awesome would it be if more Jewish people get saved? Part of Paul's argument here is that God has always planned and purposed to extend the gospel to the world. The gospel and in the Old Testament, the good news about God was not for Israel only. God revealed himself to Israel, but Israel was supposed to be a kingdom of priests, a people who were a light to the nations, if you will. And as Israel fails in that, Jesus has to come in the Messiah and pay for the sins committed under the law. But out of that, Jesus is now also not only the light to Israel, but the light to the nations. God did not stop and say, well, it didn't work with Israel. That was plan A. Let me come up with plan B. Oh, well, you know, there's all these Gentiles. I'll go to plan B. And then he says maybe down the road, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll come back to plan A when I know that will work. No, this is all the unfolding of one large plan. And you read the Old Testament. When the Messiah comes, Israel is supposed to respond to her and the gospel will go to the nations. And so, again, Paul's argument is, well, if Israel isn't responding in large numbers, has God's word failed? No, we're still on the same plan. We're still right on track with everything that God intended. And how awesome would it be if more Jewish people got saved, Paul is saying. We do see at the end of Acts, Paul talking about how uh, many of his Jewish brothers, according to the flesh, have rejected the gospel. And then he says, therefore, let it be known, the very last verse in Acts, that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. But it is an overflow. It is an abounding of the spread of the gospel, not merely a Well, we're done with Israel and the Jews for a while. Now we'll go to plan B and switch it up. In fact, Paul's ministry to the Gentiles is not wasted on his Jewish brothers and sisters. Look at verses 11, uh, verses 13, 14 and 15. Now I'm speaking to you Gentiles inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry in order to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. But if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? So Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. We see this in Galatians 2, 7 and 8. He is to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Peter takes the same gospel, the same message Uh, To the Jews, it is always one gospel, both Old and New Testament, one gospel, one way by which we're saved. But Paul is commissioned in a special way. Take the gospel to the Gentiles. But it's not as if Paul is anti-Semitic. It's not as if Paul hates his brothers who are Jews. He says, no. Part of what this will do, me taking the gospel to to Gentiles and they, they the Jews know who I was. They know I was a Pharisee. This is going to make them angry, but this is going to make some of them jealous. And 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 they're going to go back to the word of God. And, and have you ever met somebody 
that goes to the Word of God and they, they start to study it with this full intent, I am going to refute what those Christians say. And they start tearing through it. I'm going to find all the contradictions. I'm going to find everywhere it's wrong. And then God starts to work on their heart. And I'm sure it happened that way some in Paul's days. Some Jewish person hearing Paul preach that Jesus is the Messiah, them saying, that can't be right. There's no way that God would kill his Messiah. And then they start digging around in their Old Testament, in the Torah, in the, in the prophets. And then as God works, maybe some of them put some of the pieces together and became saved. I don't know if that's how had I don't know if that's how it happened exactly or for sure, uh, but you can just imagine a scenario, and it happens even in our day. But notice here twice Paul mentions how great it would be if Jewish people, more of them, were getting saved. At the end of verse 12, how much more will their in full inclusion meet? Meaning, right now we see them rejecting, right now we see a remnant, but how awesome would it be if there was a full number, a large number, a mass conversion? Then he says in verse 15, for if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, meaning if just by virtue of the plan of God, here they are rejecting and and other people, the gospel is still going out, the gospel has not been thwarted, God's plan has not been thwarted, and it's still the reconciliation of the world. How much more, how much greater, how much more awesome would it be? Look what he says. What will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If they come to saving faith, the resurrection will happen. The Lord will be bringing His plan to triumph. How awesome will their conversion be? Yes, right now we have a remnant saved by grace as people have always been saved. But oh, we pray that there would be a large number who would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, particularly a large number from amongst the Jews. Because Paul says that'll be the resurrection of the dead. That'll be awesome. I think Paul, on the one hand, well, let me say it this way. It's possible that Paul meant this uh, in, a, in a spiritual way. It'll be spiritual life that's coming to them, much in the way that Ezekiel talks about uh, the dry bones of Israel being raised up, meaning they'll, they'll come to the gospel, they'll be alive. But I don't think that's how he meant it. I think he meant it in a literal, real, this will be the climax of God's plan. This will be everything we've waited for. So in Acts chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, Peter in the preaching of the gospel says, Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ for you, Jesus. The second thing this morning, Paul helps us understand our relationship to Israel with an analogy of the olive tree. So the first thing we've done is we've laid out, well, what does Paul say about Israel? And I think it's just worth saying inside the church today, we should not be anti-Semitic. We should want to see both Jew and Gentile, but particularly Jewish people, come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. This is the fulfillment of their Old Testament, which is now our Old Testament. Of course, they don't call it the Old Testament, but you understand what I'm saying. But now Paul's going to use this analogy of we've been grafted in. You see, this is the thing that God laid down in his scriptures that he gave to Israel. 
Paul has said in Romans that, that there's much importance in Israel and being a Jew. They have the covenants. They have the promises. They have the glory. They have the physical lineage of Christ. It is a good and wonderful thing. We, who are not Jewish in our heritage, we're the abnormal ones. The ones who we shouldn't expect the promise to come to, who get grafted in, as Paul is going to say. So, Paul helps us understand our relationship to Israel with the analogy of the olive tree. So, if God has saved the first fruits, he will save more. Verse 16, if the dough offered as the first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. If then the root is holy, so are the branches. So God began working in Israel, and it doesn't mean that he's going to stop. And so the two analogies are parallel here. There is dough and the first fruits of it. You think of the Old Testament saints, they are saved. And so there are other people that are part of the dough that will be saved. The second analogy is the analogy of branches to a root. If the root is holy... God made these promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There are branches that are attached to this. And those who are t- attached to this will be saved. And so Paul is going to continue this uh, uh, analogy as we go through. This passage actually, I think, undercuts the idea that there are two people of God. Sometimes people say there were two people of God. There's Israel and then there's the church. And God pauses his plan with Israel. Now he's working in the church. And then later on, he'll go back to working with Israel. How many trees are in this story, this analogy? One. And the wild ones, which I guess you could say is another tree, but it's not the saving tree. They get grafted into the one tree. Hebrews says this really well in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Now Moses was faithful in God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast to our confidence and are boasting in our hope. How many houses of God are there? One. And we're in the same house that Moses was a faithful servant in. This is the plan and purpose of God. And so Paul, in his analogy, will continue that that there were some branches that were broken off and we were grafted in, verses 17 and 18. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, Do not be arrogant towards the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. So we have here some who are the physical lineage of Abraham partaking in the the covenant promises. And Paul has said earlier that, that not everyone who is of the physical line of Israel is of the spiritual Israel. And so the symbolism here is that they are broken off. They do not partake in the covenant promises of God. And some of us who are not the physical lineage, we have no Jewish background in us at all. We are called like these wild olive tree branches. 
And we are grafted in. We partake of these promises through faith the same way an Old Testament Israelite was ultimately supposed to partake of these promises. The same salvation that they received, just like Abraham, getting saved through faith. If we have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we become a partaker of that. If you flip over to Galatians uh, chapter 3, Paul says in uh, Galatians uh, chapter I'm not going to be able to find it now. This is what happens when you don't write it in your notes and it comes to you off the top of your head while you're preaching. Uh, Galatians uh, chapter 3. Uh, oh, that's why I'm in Ephesians. No wonder I can't find it. Okay. Galatians chapter 3. Here we go. Uh, verse 11 down through 14. Now, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith, But the law is not of faith. The one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And so Paul later on will talk about the Gentile even has Abraham as their spiritual father. In other words, there is this root, there is this covenant plan of God that comes to fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And as it does, people from every tribe, tongue and nation are getting saved. And what happens? They get grafted in. They become a as a Gentile, a partaker of. Of the promise made to Abraham. So there is this one olive tree. The people of God. And when you get saved, you are grafted into it. Maybe you grew up in an unchristian household. Maybe you didn't hear the word of God uh, until you were older. doesn't matter. You're part of the family of God. Paul continues this analogy in a different way in Ephesians chapter 2, talking about a temple. And he says there were the Gentiles, those who were far off, far from God. You think of just the Old Testament. How many of those Gentiles were pagan? You think of the Roman Empire. They were worshiping all sorts of gods in Paul's day. They were far from God. They had never heard of the Old Testament, most of them. Who is this God of Israel? What are you talking about covenant promises? Well, you have a temple in Jerusalem. How's that any different from our temple uh, in our city in Greece or Rome or Athens or wherever it might be? But through the gospel, people getting saved, it says that God has brought near those who are far off. They come and they know the living and the true God. And, and rather than being part of a temple like in the Old Testament temple where there was this wall that Jews could go in all the way and Gentiles were kind of on the outside, the court of the Gentiles. In Christ, we're one, Paul says. There is no more dividing wall. We're all the family of God. We're all God's people as we are believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this continues this idea of branches that are being grafted in. Verses 19 and 20. So that you have some branches then that are broken off because of unbelief. But then you will say branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. So here's where this pride might come in. Someone might say, well, 
God did stop working with Jewish people. Look at how he broke off the branches. They're the ones rejecting. And now I'm special and privileged because I've become a partaker in the promise of God. Paul says this. Well, that's true. That's true that branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. They were broken off because of unbelief. So they might have been born in this uh, heritage of being an Israelite. They might have been circumcised at a young age. They might have been a partaker of the promise of the covenant of circumcision. But they never believed in Jesus. And they explicitly were rejecting him. And so they're not partaking of the spiritual promises. They really aren't part of the family of God, even though it looked like they were just by the heritage in which they were born. Paul says, you stand fast through faith. Do not be proud, but fear. This is where I want to make the application to us this morning. Don't be proud. In your Christian walk, in your walk in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, don't get proud. Don't look around at, at unbelievers and say, well, you know, I'm, I'm better than them. Look at what I've come to. Don't look around at other Christians. Maybe you see a Christian struggling in their faith. Don't get proud. Maybe you see someone who professed to be a Christian for a while. And they've walked away from the faith. And they, they had lived what seemed to be the normal Christian life. Everything was going well. They made professions of faith. They were baptized. They, they did everything right. They seemed solid. And now through something that's come up, they've turned away from the faith. Be careful for yourself. It's a shame when those things happen. We pray for that individual. We invite them back to Christ. We try to minister to them. But don't think... You're invincible. 